Well, welcome to the uh, next latest, whatever you want to call it, uh, edition of our uh, podcast. Looking forward to uh, 22-23 season, which starts at the weekend with a long trip up to the MKM Stadium at Hull City. I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by none other than Section 82 supporter. Uh, Stands there, but more known on the rugby field, uh, Gareth Chilcott. Gareth. Welcome to Forever Bristol City podcast after that long Thanks, thanks for inviting me, Dave. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> so uh, have, you, have you had a good summer? It's been a bit short from a football perspective, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah I've had a good summer. I've been away a bit. I was in the Far East and then I just come back from America with work because um, I'm in the travel business. I'm in the sports travel business. So I take people around the world to watch sports. So it's a, not a bad living, to be honest with you. Saying that, COVID have been tough, you know, there's been no crowds in stadiums and no travel, so I was double whammied. But we've survived and we're now building back up again. So yeah, that's good. That's good. good. That's, that's good that you can uh, get over there. Um, I want to talk, obviously, in the main about Bristol City, but as a watcher from afar, and I know you watch, uh, and, watch and commentate on both for Bristol and Bath, what the hell went wrong at Bath last season? You know, I mean, it must have made you weep some of what you saw going. Well, as an old, as an old, uh, as an old Bath player, yeah, it's really the question: what went right last year? And it, 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 it nothing basically. I think it was sort of a combination of. Well, I mean, Stuart Hooper is a, a nice man, but you'd have to say that he came in as an experienced coach with no coaching. Um, experience three years ago and three years later um, uh, the proof is in the pudding it was bad recruitment bad organisation of the squad they've got a new coach in now and talking to people over there they seem to be a bit more encouraging but really and of course David there was no relegation you know so so once you've lost that first four or five games of the year you know the spirits all went out a bit I mean all credit to the support, full crowds, every home game. And really, they did not deserve it. And, and, and basically, they, they allowed themselves to be rolled over and tickled on the tummy too many times. And, so and they, that didn't was even, they didn't even express themselves with the pressure being off, like people often say, yeah? Yeah, I, I think it was more, well, we've lost the first seven games. We're not going to get into Europe. You know, let's just carry on. There were some great successes there, you know. Phil de Glanville's boy de Glanville, it's Steve Ajomo, people I played with. This yeah. boy, Mac, Max Ajomo, played really well. And there were some youngsters that came through, um, a bit like City, really, you know, they're promising come the end. Uh, they just didn't have quite that experienced players around them. They did have a lot of experience, but then players are just sort of went a little bit too ripe with a season like that. So, yeah, it was a disaster. It's been coming for the last three years. And the people at Bath and the supporters are open that the rock's been stopped and go again. So their first game is away to uh, Bristol on the Friday night, September the 9th, I think it is. So a huge test for both sides. Absolutely. And talking about Bristol, now, again, showing how out of touch I am with the uh, overball. Was last season their second season at the top flight? Yes? Or was it third? Third, third, third. third. I mean, they, when they made that return... I think it's they, a third. Yeah, lose touch. But but I think Bristol also had a poor season because when you look at their squad, the Bears became a little bit too predictable. And Pat Lamb, who is 
Lamented is the, the savior, the guru, and he's a very good coach. And, but he didn't do very well last year. And and I think a lot of criticism from the, the so-called experts, i.e. the media press and everything else, was it it was a bit of a one-trick pony. They played one way and one way only. And against the big sides, like in any top elite sport, once you get found out they're one way and one way only, it's quite easy to counteract. And I think some of the big sides like Harlequins in Leicester, Northampton in Cell knew how Bristol was going to play. And they they were, I mean, if for a season to get the Bears, you've, you've got good value for money because they play fantastic rugby. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to learn the right to play that type of rugby, you know, and, and to do that, you need to do the hard graft, the hard yards up front. And they weren't doing that because it was all sort of like nice and fluffy and run. And if it clicked, everybody was loving it. And if it didn't, they lost the game. And they and I mean Pat had a or has an eight-year contract. Do you think when you have contracts that long, being a manager or certainly a player, we talk about contracts when it comes to Bristol City, but if you've got an eight-year contract, you're not having such a long contract, the I mind mean, might be a bit more focused, yeah. <laughs> Dave, David, you know, it's like the Eddie Jones thing. I mean, he sort of went after the Japan final, you know, a bit harsh to get rid of a coach after you get to a World Cup final, but if England need to develop, you've got to look at that. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's about a result game. And for somebody in any business uh, to give somebody an eight-year contract, um, and I like Pat. You know, Pat is, you know, a great player, great man. You know, he coached the club well. And I'm, I'm hoping, being a Bristolian, even though I played for Bath, I want them to do well. But to give somebody an eight-year contract is... Uh, uh, nonsense you know if after three years you've got to get, get him out for whatever reason and that could quite possibly happen you're spending millions and millions of pounds to get rid of him instead of making him hungry to carry on the success I, I totally agree with you David an eight year contract in top level sport is a uh, is ludicrous it's, it's going back and your time with City goes back even further than mine because he went as a seven year old but it's almost as bad as uh, Clive Whitehead got a 10-year contract <laughs> when he was down at Ashton Gate. Well, you know, there, there's the question with the contracts, you know, the boys, you know, who saved us, you know, their contracts were long, it top division money, they went down the leagues, and next thing you know, you've got a problem. But yeah, my first game in that, uh, it, uh, City was um, with my grandfather, you know, he worked for DRG, you know, down in a bonding warehouse. Yeah, yeah. Put me down at the age of seven. It was really awkward when I was playing rugby over at Bath, because I was... I was out of the country six months a year playing for the Lions or England or touring. Um, but the first thing I ever did, especially then mobile phones came in, was find out how to see it on. And the games I could take on was sort of a Tuesday night or maybe a Friday if we were at home the next day. Uh, but quite often then we were in hotels, you know, sort of bored and locked down, uh, ready for the game on the Saturday. So I had a long spell where I didn't be able to see the city. But then once I retired, the advantage of doing radio stuff for BBC and uh, Bristol and stuff, is it? They never play when 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 Bristol or Bath are playing. So, you, you know, I can, get, I can, get, my, I can get my fix. You're a season ticket holder now. I, I, I introduced you as sitting in, uh, standing, sorry, in... Uh, well, yeah, we're in the singing city. section. But I also, how, long I been, how long have you been doing that? Oh, well, I, I used to be up at the Williams stand in the Premier Lounge. Yeah, um, of course, that's where I used to be. You know, that's where I used to be, but I was always an East End boy when I was younger. Um, and once once um, I decided that I didn't want to enjoy my 
my football up in the, you know, William stand in the Premier Lounge. I want to get back to just go into the game, stand in there. Um, I, I've, I've been a member since. Um, I get away to away games as well a lot. You know, uh, last year was my least amount. I think I went to five, but the season before I went to seven or eight away games. There's a little group of us and my 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 son, uh, Ethan, is a fanatical city man. He swears blindly, you know, I, I did it to spite him. Um, because you know what it's like being a city fan. You're very frustrated over the years. Oh, God. You have your good times, but more often you have kills, your frustration. <laughs> it is the hope that kills, isn't it? So, I mean, I don't know about you, and we're, as I say, we're similar age, but it, after that Man United game and that season, 17-18, it's only in the last six months that I got a little bit of love back, but it just seemed to be a slow decline. And unlike similar slow declines, yeah, we've actually managed to keep our place in the division. I mean, what were your thoughts on last campaign, the first complete year that Nigel Pearson was in charge? Well, when he came, um, I felt that he would be doing very well to keep us up because you've seen some of their performance, David. David, They were just lacklustre. There was no will, no spirit. There was a, a lack of uh, ambition in the side. And, you know, I, I fell out of love with a little bit of going away from home, even though we did better away most yeah. of the time. Well, if you, you know, want to so, play over the last four years, you've you got know, nothing to moan about, really. It's been you know, and we, you know, me and my boy used to go down and then uh, we think, oh, my God, what are we doing this for? Because, you know, it's another frustrated, um, another frustrated 90-minute, uh, what, what are we doing it for? You know, every week we pour ourselves through it. Um, but... You know, it's in your blood, isn't it? But I, I actually think Nigel Pearson, and, uh, you know, it, it's a matter of debate. If I go down the pub, there's always bits and pieces going on. Um, you know, people will argue the case, oh, what's he doing? But he inherited a very poor squad um, with a lot of players that are, could be very good League One players, but not really where we wanted to be in the championship. Um, without naming names, I think most of them, you know who they would be, and I'm quite happy to name them if you want to, but, you know... I just think we needed that bit of quality. And I, he came on with a remit. There's no doubt a remit was to bring the youngsters on. He did that and kept us in the league. And yeah. it's a difficult league. So I think ending up staying in the league and giving these boys, these young lads, a sort of half a season, three quarters of a season there as well, I think it's all, all, all just in good stead. And for me, who we brought in, I think we brought in good players from the second and first, you know, league one and two. Yeah. But what more... More important for me is we didn't lose Touchwood. We didn't lose the Semenos, the, the Scots. You know, hopefully they'll still be here, um, you know, when we kick off against Sunderland. But, um, you know, so for me, the youngsters coming on, us staying in the league, keeping some of our youngsters, bringing in some talented players that could make championship that time yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and that and that particular, you're talking there about the likes of uh, Kane Wilson and uh, yeah. Spikes who got potential. I mean, it was a bit of a coup getting Cal Naismith, wasn't it? I, I've, I've always liked him. I hope he can show some of the form when I, when he's played against us. You know, um, I hope he shows some of that form in, in, in the in the shirt of uh, City. But uh, you know, it's very difficult. I still think we're probably a striker short. 
Um, I'm hoping uh, Naki Wells may, you know, may come of age, although he's been disappointing. He hadn't really had the service and then he'd been played out wide, wide right and wide left, you know, when all he's ever been is an up, up and up number nine striker. And with the right club, the right service, he always scores goals. But for us, he didn't quite get the right position right for whatever reason. So Chris Martin, outstanding. But he's, for me, I wish he was a five-year younger Chris Martin. Well, if he was five you know, years, will his younger, legs last every game? Yeah, if he was five years younger, he probably wouldn't be playing for us. No, but, well, yeah. I mean, okay, it was an interesting statistic, which I found hard to believe. And one of our, one of my contributors on the podcast, uh, I won't say who, in case I've interpreted what they said wrong, but the fact was that Chris Martin won more headers than any other championship striker, and I, I thought that's fact. I thought, really? And then, as the person pointed out to me, if you look at our still considered by many amateurish throwing routines, Chris <laughs> does the little jump and the headed on flick. And nobody behind. As useful as a goal threat, you know? I mean, if it was Kiefer, you'd expect Kiefer Moore to be the top headed striker in the championship, wouldn't you? Yeah. But, but also, 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 he played for a long spells you know, long balls up to him, you know, when yeah. he was on his own. So there was a lot of that as well. And he'd, he'd quite often get the, the first touch. But I just, you know, I just think Chris Martin could be really useful to this squad coming off the bench last 10, 15 minutes when we need somebody, yeah. you know, to do. That's how I would see his role now. If, like it looks at the moment, he'll be the starter for every game. I don't think he'll get to a season because... You know, God bless him, and I know it because I was a rugby player. And it, yeah. it, you know, all of a sudden you come of an age, and you, know, you haven't quite got that pace, you haven't quite got that that anticipation. And, and I just felt that even though he's in very good nick for his age, he just hadn't quite got that um, that you cannot buy pace that would would give us a. You know, he's not going to give us a twenty. He's not going to be a 15, 20 goal. So he got he he got his typical. 10 or 12. I mean, he got 10 last year. Yeah, I, mean, 10. I mean, the main bonus last year, I mean, look at this, you know, you know, Andy Vyman's been playing yes. trade in the Premier League and the Championship. And I got slaughtered on the podcast because I've, I've always been saying, not last season, obviously, but before, runs around a lot, lots of effort, but no end product. But that was his golden boot season last year. Oh, and, and if he don't get it... City has and to hope that he can repeat that, don't they? Well, he's got to get another golden season to keep us up. So if not, you're going to have to say, well, if Naki Wells don't get a right service or don't come in, you know, if he's don't feature as a, the starter, then and, and Boyman don't actually get his um, his scoring boots on like he hadn't done all season, all years apart from last year. You know, where is our goals going to come from? You know, um, you know, we open midfield might get four or five here and there. You know, different midfielders. But you do need your 15 to 20 goal striker. Yes. And I don't think Chris Martin's going to be that. He's going to put in his 10. That's fine. Yeah, and by midfield. a typical season, he'll put in 15. So, no. But that's just 25 goals, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah but, but, you know, even Boyman, I mean, he don't usually score 15. He did last year more. But usually it's more like eight, nine, ten. It's ten, no, no, I'm I'm trying to praise him up there, which is you know, so so you know, where are the goals? So if you're saying there's gonna be 25, 30 goals, you know, unless unless somebody really performs, like a Mackie Wells comes on and gets his 20 that we know he can at other clubs, or or Wyman has another fantastic season, 
my worry is that little bit fear is it we might be a bit poor shy next year if people, if somebody don't stand up and be counted so we might yeah i mean it was interesting i was chatting to brian tinian and there's who 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 can step into chris martin's shoes and uh he was uh of the view that tommy conway could oh. who's just signed that three-year contract yeah mm, that's good news. And i've seen tommy tommy's had a good pre-season and what have you but i don't i i wouldn't me personally as a humble fan, I wouldn't see Tommy and Chris as being the same sort of player. I'd see Tommy closer to Naki Wells as a player. Well, I, I would as well. Maybe, obviously, Tinian knows his stuff and he's with them working all the time. So maybe he knows his stuff, but um, which he does. But yeah, I would put him more of a, a, a striker running and, running and channels rather than, you know, lumping it up in him more than a ball up for support to come. Uh, you know, we need... Semenyo fit. We're going to miss him for the first because come the end of last season, he was um, our main threat of breaking away, counter attacking, counter counter football, and he was somebody that you know made space for other people like the, the, yeah. the Chris Martins and the Wyman. There's no doubt him causing havoc in defenses brought defenders to his zone rather than elsewhere. Yeah. And with the running ability of Wyman, he, he popped up in places. We need him next year, I think. Do you, do you think play? I mean, the Western Supermare Partnership (WSM) in uh, to give it its yeah. term. <laughs> do you, Do you think we got overrun in midfield too much last season, and that was why? Okay, we were we were. I think there were only half a dozen sides scored more goals than us, but we were letting them in. Do you think it is a bit ambitious playing three front men in the way that we do? Um, I like three front men. I, I think you definitely got to have two. What I cannot stand is one up front, yeah. like we did for a lot of years, a lot of seasons. Just having one man, lone man, you know, Deju, whoever, you know, them days are gone. I, the, whenever we got overrun in midfield, it was against sides that just had that one really spectacular ball player, you know, they could just spread us around a bit. Um, you know, Masengo's another sort of wide, but he runs and runs and runs, but, you know, very skillful. But, you know, when you see him, so if you're going to, you need to use him as a defensive, but then he, he overruns sometimes. He needs gaps around him with his over-eagerness. Yeah. And he's not he's not a 10. Alex Scott is a 10 because we need, we need the ball on the floor, really, you know, playing it down the channel. So, you know, I like Williams. I like James. You know, um, I... <laughs> There's yeah, a lack of creativity. Over. Yes, until that's always been our problem. Alex Scott. Now we were having a podcast chat the other evening with uh, with, with uh, Gregor and uh, Chris Honor, and I think it was Gregor said, and I challenged him on it. He said, "Well, he said Kane Wilson was injured last week, but probably should come back." But he said, "If Kane Wilson doesn't play, we put Alex Scott at right wing back." Now that's where Alex Scott played most of last season, but for me, yeah, and okay, he's played football through the summer for the England 19s, but for me, Alex Scott is a starter, come what may. Do you feel similar oh, about okay. Alex? Oh, absolutely. And I would like to see him in that 10 position, you know, that sort of um, Casey Palmer 10 position, saying that we never played him in 10, really, did we? <laughs> uh, but I, the, the problem with having Alex Scott on the right wing back is that if you are getting dominated in midfield, He's just completely out of the game. You know, all he's doing is tracking back, 
you know, covering right backs here or, or trying to cut out long balls. He's not he's not on the ball enough for me at right wing back. Where if he's at 10 playing in that central position, get the ball to his feet and then create something because there's no doubt he's got a huge potential in the game um, and, and, and going to do well. So I think his, his position is 10, so let's get him in there early. Yeah, I mean, that so would be my view. Being injured until uh, late September or sometime in September, I heard Nigel say on uh, Jeff Twentyman's show on uh, Monday evening, it makes Nigel's selection problem easier because yeah. if you look at the shape of the side, right, and you're right, he does want to play Chris Martin week in, week out. I don't think he rested the blow once, but... Well, and, and, and not only rested the bloke, he, he also, every every report, even when he already touched the ball, said, you know, Chris Martin's work rate was fantastic. You know, I know. He is a lover of Chris Martin, but it'd be like it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, for me, for me, Alex Scott has to start. Yeah. And if you imagine Alex Scott with, in front of him, Vyman and Semenyo, or Semenyo and Wells, or... Conway and Wells, Conway and Vyman. Yeah, you know, you've and, got, and then and then and then Chris Martin coming off the bench. Coming off if the you're bench, a bit struggling to take the, if you know, yeah. get get the balls in, then last ten minutes. You know, that's the way I see it working. Not Chris Martin starting. That, but it's a person. Yeah, but it, and in midfield, I mean, you've got. I mean, he's given his mate Andy King another contract, but that's with a view to him becoming a coach. I mean, Joe Williams has got it. Yeah, Matty James. His better days are behind him, I think, yeah? This is where, you know, we are weak in the middle. You talked about Hanoa Masengo. I mean, he's just turned 21. He's 21 in about a week's time. He, he was, I don't know if you listened to Nigel on uh, Jeff Twentyman last night, but no, nobody's so. come in for Hanoa Masengo, and he looks like he could end up running his contract down. But if you imagine a midfield of, Masenga, and this is changing the whole shape of the side, a midfield of Masengo, Scott and Williams with people like James to come off the bench or what have you. That's a three, yeah? That is a three in midfield. And then up front, you can do your various combinations. Well, you've got options, haven't you? You've got options. But then you change to a back four, but then that looks more solid because you've then got you can then have that Kane Wilson as a conventional right back or George Tanner behind him. And then it puts less pressure on your central defenders because with Callas being out, although I, I personally think he's overrated, if you just have a flat back four, it almost picks itself because you have you have you have um, Kane Wilson, uh, you have Naismith and Atkinson or Naismith and Close. You know, shame about Nathan Baker. And then it left fullback or in that conventional four. Okay, Jay's played himself back into the reckoning, but that to me just seems to be a better shape, don't you think? You know, because you yeah, you know, I, I think, think both works then. I you know, it's it's nice to say play three up front, but let's get in the in the in the reality world of championship football. I I think that Pearson will be looking at some stability in defense. I know you can see by his reports he was he was fuming at some some of the games where we've given late goals away or we've just a lack of concentration. I think he'll be working hard on that um, 
uh, defensive. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if on occasions he did go that back four. Uh, Jay has brought himself back into contention and he'd be a good squad member. The thing that I like about this, David, this, this squad, and getting away from the fact I've already said, I think I'd like to see another strike involved. You know, Nathan Baker, God bless him, I think that's the last we'll see of him or even yeah. football see of him. Yeah. You know, Callis um, came here with great stuff, did some great stuff, but I think he's been in a side, in a defence, it's been a bit leaky for too long. Yeah. And I've got um, his loose as a goose a little bit. Callis was best when he had Webster alongside him that one Absolutely, yeah. And also with Webster, we know Webster would go take a ball out of defence and leave Callis back there just to cover bits. I think there was too much responsibility in a poor defence and Callis sort of not, didn't go missing, but I don't think he enjoyed it. He didn't live up to the eight and a half million price tag was around. Exactly. He didn't want to be captain either, did he? That no, he didn't. Too much. That's not his nature. So no. whoever made him captain, you know, need a, a, a hard look at himself because he's not that. He's, he's, a, he, he's a grand troop. You know, he's not a captain. Um, but, you know, so I, I think, you know, Coyce, I think uh, Close is, is a good buy. I think he's, for experience, has kept himself fit. He's not had the best of preseason, so I hear. That's, and that's correct. And that's allowed redemption for uh, Zach Viner, by the look of it, isn't it? Well, I mean, I mean, Zach, I'll, I'll stand, I'll put my hand up. You know, the end, the start of last season, I was thinking, God, why is Zach still here? He should be playing, you know, League One up the gas and doing really well, you know, um, and because he is a, a good player at a certain level. But he seems to have come in and had a good preseason, which is all credit. I I still can remember the mistakes he's made. So I'm, I'm, I'll go down with an open mind. And people have yeah. watched the pre. pre well, the uh, number of goals we can see the last season that seem to be him, where he's looking over his shoulder and the ball's and somebody's, going over him. Somebody's somebody's come in behind yeah, him, totally yeah. blind, and that's concentration, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's totally. That's just switching off, and you can't do that. And uh, but, uh, but, you know, Nell Smith, good player. You know, I, I'm hoping he will show us some, some of the potential we've seen from him in other clubs. Do you think he might, do you think he might make Naismith captain? I would. I would because, you know, he's been around. He's done his bits. Uh, on paper, he's as good as any we got down there. Um, he's a talker he, as well, though, isn't he? He yeah. is, he is. You can, you can see whenever he's playing, he's always got people around him to dictate it. As a captain, he would. He plays in a position where he's always looking forward, you know, in the, in the fact that he can see what's, he can see a bigger picture ahead of him, you know, uh, where that didn't quite happen with, with, with Callis. Um, so, yeah, I, would, I, I think we need him to play really well to become, you know, and if he plays well and organises them around him, you know, with, with Scott having a better season because of whatever, Wyman getting, even if Wyman got to 50% of what he did last year, you know, with, with Semenyo another season, he was getting better every game, you know, keeping them people. Then we're looking at, you know, you've got a bit of optimism for the next season. You know, I'm not saying promotion or playoffs, but we're going to be a bit more comfortable than we were last year. And then you never know. I think so. I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm hopefully going to be doing a piece with uh, Richard Latham earlier in the week. And I said, are you, are you feeling any sense of optimism? And he said, no, I'm not. He said, we signed a couple of players from lower leagues. Okay, they're good. We signed a player. To see. I think Naismith is our marquee signing, even though he didn't cost any money. But I think pre-season, 
you know, undefeated in pre-season, it's buoyed a lot of people's hopes, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, it, it has because okay, preseason. You know, how many times have I been at the Forest Green and get seen us get beat? You know, in a preseason game. You know, whatever. So it's not the be end and end all because you've got sides being swapped around in completely different defenses coming on up for twenty minutes and going off for twenty. But the fact is, it becomes a mentality of winning or not losing, and you know, I'm. I am optimistic, as I always am with City, yeah. that we are a mid-table team. With a following win, we could do slightly better. Um, that being said, within the first six weeks, me and you will know whether it's going to be looking down. Well, never mind the first up. six weeks. Gareth, you've probably looked at the fixture list. Between July the 30th and August the 31st, that's seven, never mind Caribou Cup, Coventry, yeah, and if we win a... There's seven league games in 33 yeah, days. That's you know, which I'm saying, six weeks 15, from the start of Sunday, yeah, we we'll know where we're going to be. 15% of the season. Yeah. yeah. Now, interestingly, um, Chris and uh, Chris and, um, and, and, and Gregor, they both put City down for 12, 13 points from those. Yeah? In fact, I think both, both said 13. I don't know if you've looked at it in detail. But if we got 11 from the first six, that, I think, would be decent, yeah? yeah. And then, yeah. You, then you break it down further and you think, right, where are those 11 points going to come from, you know? And there's no easy games in this division, is there? Oh, it never is. But what I would also like to see, David, is, and this is for a, for a variation of reasons, is it? I would just like to see us, our home form, and it was getting better at the end of last season and stuff. But I would like to see our home form. I'd like to see Aston Gate become a bit of a fortress again because any of the good sides that really go on to kick on to playoffs always make their home ground a bit of a fortress. Yeah. And, and also, not just for the results, but it would also make the crowd. And as you know, sometimes City can be quite critical of their sides if it's not quite going right. And, and I would just like to see... It's lovely getting an away game. And it's lovely to get an away win. Great. But if we can make the experience of sides coming down to City ground uncomfortable, yeah. And you start getting like on the road. It, it used, used to, to be, be like, like it. that. Didn't he it? hated because coming to City you ground. Can remember, you remember the old Hartlepool playoff game in 2005? Yeah. Oh, 2004, there, yeah. sorry. And Graham Pohl, international referee, that was the night when the Dolman stand started shaping. Yeah. Graham Pohl said that night, when we came back and Christian Roberts got that winner, he said the atmosphere that night was comparable with anything he'd experienced in the top stadiums of Europe. Look at the atmosphere against Man United when it was... Oh, unbelievable. To the rafters, I was in that one as well. You know? I mean, do you think we don't help ourselves by letting that away end go? Because, you know, you get 3,000... There's got to be 3,000 Sunderland fans there for the first home game of the season. And that's going to be like them... Attacking their home end, didn't it? In the second, I mean, half. I mean, I, I was uh, down the Atio end when it was half and half, basically. You know, when you had the away side out and half, and then the singing sets, and basically was up that end. You know, uh, uh, sorry, the Aston Park end. Is it yeah. the Atio? Yeah, the old yeah. End, you know, and the atmosphere was fantastic because the two crowds would bounce off each other and yeah. got the atmosphere going. Now. 
the the cleansingness of Aston Gate, beautiful stadium, everything else, but with the singing section in one section, um, which can I say are highly monitored. Monitored. Um, we know we've got a few problems with flares and bits and pieces and everything else, but you know, there's the majority of people in there are just good, honest city supporters. Yeah. You know, and sometimes uh, people in the crowd and even the clubs are certainly be can become a little bit overzealous about where they are and what they do to their own supporters. But I just think that standing down there might help it a bit more, but you're too far away from the opposition. But more importantly, as you've touched on it quite rightly, so to give Sunderland 3,000 seats all one stand behind the goalpost is like giving them a home advantage. For a large proportion of the game. Because what you could do, I'm sure you have been to Wolverhampton, uh, over, and I'm not saying they do it now, but I can remember once going to Wolverhampton, they've got that big stand opposite the main stand, and they gave the whole of the lower tier. Well, even at Ashton Gate, you could give half of those seats in front of the Dolman to um, away supporters, and then the Atio, you could give them, I'll say, a third, you could give them a third of the seats in the Atio in that corner. So they're along the side and in the corner. And the rest sitting. The other two, the other two thirds, you, you could have a suitable gap to stop the nutters and then give it and then give it to City. Yeah, yeah because, I totally agree. The atmosphere would be a hundred percent better. Um because and that, that, bit in front, that bit in front of the dolman is kids now. There's enough spaces in the top of the Lands down upper. I mean, I can hardly get up there on the steps because yeah, you know, yeah. it's so bloody far. But yeah, it is. You can have that as a kiddies enclosure up there, and it's even away from the bad language from that point of view because that's another thing that we're worried about. And what, what you've got in between that dormant where you're talking in the end section of the atio, you, you've actually got a big space where they can come in and go up. You know, so it isn't as if they're passing a lot of city home fans oh. or anything else. It's not much different to how it used to be or what it is now. Yeah. But you're also opening it up to city support. Because I'm saying that, but most of the singing section would go back. You could, you could actually give a block, because the problem with a dolman is that people in block A and B is to chuck stuff down on them. That yeah. was when the, when the Atio was an open end, right? Yeah. What you could do, you could give them blocks A and B of the dolman, yeah? Or certainly block A, yeah. and then that bit along the bottom... Yeah, to the halfway line. And that's, I mean, you look at what Aston Villa do now. I mean, they have their away fans in a tiny little portion of the ground, but you don't surrender this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think one of the worry for, uh, you know, um, Aston Gate Limited or whatever you want to call it, I think it's because of the, the concourse as well there. Well, that's I it. think it's money, worried, isn't it? Because you can walk money, around, you know, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to section that off or sort of, close that end of the, the concourse. Um, and I think that is logistically the, the problem. If there was an easy way to do that, I think they would. But it's well worth looking at because, as you say, you know, you can get some games, especially when City weren't quite playing with the same sort of um, endeavour. You know, they, we've seen some poor lacklustre games. The crowd does go quiet because it's in one corner. Um, and what which goes back to my original question, my original answer is: It'd be nice to see City putting some good performances in the in in the in, in, in the game to get it up. But let's not be rendezvous. The crowd will endeavour to cheer and shout and sing when City's playing well. 
It's not yeah. rocket science. It's in any sport, you know, whether it's cricket, football, any team sport. If your home team are playing well, the crowd will get behind. City is no difference. Mm. You know, the problem is over the last four years, not so much last year or latter part of last years, some of the performances have been so lacklustre. Well, very... It's made the crowd lacklustre. Yeah, no, they were, ve- they were very lacklustre. And as I say, after it all seemed to go wrong for me from that Wolves game just at the yeah. turn of the year. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we had we still had the two games against Man City where although we lost we did tremendously well but that Wolves oh, game that, we yeah. were bloody one nil up and we were level on points with them almost and then I think we got like twenty points in the remaining twenty well, games I think off a cliff off, off a cliff, cliff. And I don't think we ever recovered and then we had the, but that, that was that was in the days David when we were you know, hot and cold. We, we, we would go on runs. It was unbelievable. It got on losing runs. Well, that was, that was quite streaky, frightening. That was streaky league, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Streaky I dog. mean, do you yeah. think, do you think, do you, people say Steve's not got his eye on the ball and when you look at how Mark Ashton was allowed to run a mock and Pearson had a little pop in a veiled way about player strategy and buying, buying players with no cohesion as to what to do with them and hoping to sell them on. I mean, some Steve's put in, if you look at the ground as well, he's put in a quarter of a billion quid into this club. And some people have achieved a hell of a lot more for a lot less. I mean, what what Brist, what he can what he's done with Bristol Rugby Club is with rugby, Bristol can be a top side in Europe. Yeah, let, let's let's get the, let's get this in perspective though. The money to make Bristol Bears a top rugby club is a fraction oh, of what absolutely. it makes in football. And, I'd, say and so, I'd say a tenth, and that would probably Oh, be yeah. So it, it, it's back pocket, out of the wallet stuff to make a rugby club of Bristol's health. And that once you've got the stadium, yeah. you know, you put a couple of key personnel, which he's done with Pat Lamb. He bought a couple of marquee players. Uh, Bristol's always been a big strong bread for rugby. Yeah. Lots of clubs, lots of bits and pieces. So for him to get a championship uh, a Premiership rugby team, top of the top of the top of the drawer. Even though he didn't have a good season last year, as you say, it's a tenth of what it takes to get uh, it, it. You know, City up into the Premiership, but the rewards are much bigger. Yeah. So you you know you, you it's it's got to be. I my view of Steve Lansdowne, and I know Steve, and I think he's been outstanding for Bristol. I think over the years he's put his faith in a couple of people that maybe was a bit dubious. Um, hit the nail, that's it. You know, and, and and I think he's had a couple of bad experiences with that. Mark Aston, you mentioned, for me, would be probably one of them, where they were buying players because of no reason whatsoever, when they didn't even fit into Lee Johnson's way of playing. They were just, well, we just bought him, you play him somehow. And... and yeah. You know, well, Casey think, Palmer, look, look, Casey Palmer, he had an okay thing. loan period, but we went out. I mean, Chelsea took our pants down in the summer of 2019 oh, because it was eight and a half million for Callas, two million for Jada Silver, allegedly, and four million allegedly for that. That was 14 million quid, right? And when you look at and it, if you look Jada Silver has probably it, been the better one, you know. Callas, we'll talk about Callas in a moment, but and you know, say he's a lovely bloke and all the rest of it, I'm sure. But the way things are going with his injury, that he's not... Pearson said on Radio Bristol last night, no idea when he's going to be back. No idea, right? 
So he's not had a pre-season. He he, if he I was, was paying him 20 plus a year, I would know exactly when he was coming back. He, he, if I was well, manager that Exactly. I mean, but he, he missed the last 10 games of the season, right? Mm-hmm. When because he came out at the end of March, when we averaged 1.5 points a game without him, and the first 36, 1.1 points a game when he was with him. But he's not going to have a pre-season. And let's assume he comes back in October. Then there's going to be the gap for the World Cup. Yeah, because the 16 games... Oh, yeah, we do. So he's not going to be on grass before the World Cup, by the sound of it. Then we get the January transfer window. He won't have played any games, yeah, because there won't have been any. So nobody won him. He's, he's gone up. Never mind from Aradiju going for 5.3 million for nothing at the end of his contract. Callas could do the same. Uh, but it's, for me, it's it's not just that. Because sometimes if it don't work, it don't work and he's better off the books. But it's the wages you're still paying him a week. You know, yeah. 20 plus or whatever that may be. You know, you're still paying that weekly. Then, you know, Discard it. Forget about getting money back for him. That's all money that's lost. You yeah. know, let, let's let's just get him off, and then with that money we could loan a strike. Or I don't know. But um, it yeah, does so put you off track there because you were saying about Steve yeah. put his faith in a few. So people. I think Mark yeah, Ashton being yeah. the case in point really is. Yes, it? Yeah. and and I think you know I'm not saying uh, Steve is naive because he's obviously a a very 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 successful businessman. He's sitting through and through, and he's done fantastically well for the club. Um, but I just think that there's been times when uh, people have enjoyed spending his money. Yeah. Let's just say that. Without really any care and attention to what they were spending his money on. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Have you been up to the uh, HPC Centre? Yes, I, I mean, yeah. you look at that, I... I Thanks to uh, Neil Palmer of Former Players Association and likewise Scott, we had a little trip round there on Sunday, and it's awesome. Oh, it is! It's unbelievable. And and let's not have a downer on. You know, I know we're talking about the away end in bits and pieces. Aston Gate is a tip-top stadium. Yeah, the yeah. training facilities are magnificent, and that's all down to Steve Lansdowne. There's yeah, no and the rugby. The rugby have got the same. And the well, rugby the same. You know, so. All that is down to Steve Lansdowne. So the positives have been fantastic of, of him being involved with Bristol City. Um, but as I just say, for somebody who's thrown that much money at the club, and, you know, people will say, well, it's all loans, and it's all, you know, tax and loans. And yes, he's a businessman. Why wouldn't he do that? You know, and, and cover his bum on loans and it's not really putting it out of his personal wealth. It's business loans between everything. But the fact is he still did it. And, I just think for the man who's, who's arranged, committed that amount of money to Bristol City over that amount of time, should have had better rewards for it, should have had a better better response from it. And as you say, I think you go back and dissect different times in seasons, you know, and there has been some faults by him himself. You know, there's been a time when we were right there in the playoffs and we needed a striker, you know, in Christmas and we haven't bought it and we've but gone off the, the cliff. The first year, the 2008 season, you know, I mean, we we, we should have gone up that season, yeah? And then yeah. Hull went out and got that Frazier Campbell. We got Dele Adibola and we totally altered the way we played, didn't we? In, in that season, it was a... You know, if you, we talk about the Man United game, go back to 2008. You know, I mean, Gary Johnson, fair play, he got him up, but he stayed on. He should have gone a year earlier than he did. And likewise with Lee Johnson. 
and that's another thing I think with with Steve, he's been too loyal. Where well, they become family friends, you know. You know, you, you know when I when I've gone up to sort of suites in the Lansdowne after to see people, whatever, you know, and you'd have you know everybody together having a drink, you know, you know, Steve brought them into the family. He was too loyal. I totally agree with you that in that case with Gary and Lee. Uh, but you know, the case is that he has put a lot of money in it. We didn't have quite got the rewards, and 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 then you start to worry then, don't you? Well, how long is he going to have his interest? Is he going to keep getting interest? Um, you know, but he has, he is passionate about his uh, project, yeah. his, his Bristol sport. Uh, I think where it was always Bristol City, it's now become Bristol rugby as well and Bristol yeah. basketball. It, you know, it's Bristol sport, which is his bums on seats, you know, yeah, got head. That's, that's his baby. It's going to be built as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. no, interestingly, people say, Pearson's alluded to it more than once since he's been here, but it's too nice a place, you know, it's co cosy and, you know, a lot of players that play end up living here. Joe Jordan, classic example, you know, he's lived in Bristol 35 years now. Um, does the same apply in rugby when some of these players come to play Bristol for Bristol rugby? Is it seen as a soft touch or is the mentality different? Well, I, I think the, the, the rugby is different, but if you, if you go back to that first question, ask me about bathroom. Then yes, you know, bathroom train out at uh, Farley House, which is a manor house out in Somerset. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's breathtaking. It's it's a good a facility than any in you know any premises in the club in the world. It, it is just you know Bruce Craig is just but the grass is like carpet. You know the you know every 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 player have got a little room. They got everything going for them and. And I, I'm an old has-been, but rugby's not like that. You know, you don't get that lovely little cosy feel when you're playing in November and the rain's coming down and somebody's trying to knock your head off. Um, you know, you need to have them hard yards in mud and ground. You need to have the fights between players in squad because it bonds you. You know, that's what happens. That's what great clubs do. And and there is a no doubt in my mind that, you know, at the at the football and even at the, the, the Bristol Bears level, there's that lovely little, you know, and don't get me wrong, it's a professional sport, so they are uh, premier athletes and they've got to be deserved to be treated like premier athletes. But there's got to be players that were prepared to not do anything they wouldn't do themselves, you know, and there are them players are still out there and it comes down to selection, Dave, you know, if you if managers sometimes without players you might not be quite so skillful, but they'll just gel the side together and do the hard work. And yeah. they're, you know, um, you know, Williams is a bit like that for City at the moment, as long as we keep him fit. Yes. You know, you, you get a feeling that when he's in the side, the side immediately become 10% more competitive. 100% they, agree. They, they, they get their foot in the round of ball. They they make them 50-50 balls instead of jumping over things. They actually follow through with things, yeah. you know, so you get that slightly harder edge when he's playing and you get players like that. And for me, a manager that can have three or four of them players in the side, that side will go places because they'll make themselves really, really horrible to play against and hard to beat. And yeah. then you're halfway there. Yeah. And, and I think over the last three or four years, we've had nice little players in Lee Johnson's uh, image. He built a nice side 
he built a side in his own image then. Yeah, absolutely. Tippy-tappy players, 50-50 balls, less, you know, or less jump out of it. I mean, Callum Adowda was one of the most skillful <laughs> players in that era, but I've never seen him do a 50-50 tackle. You know, I've never seen him. I've seen him. He was outstanding, and I'm going to get slagged probably for the Callum Adowda supporters, but he was a master at avoiding anything that was contact. Well, and then he'd go and concede. He, he conceded a penalty against Barnsley, I think, in uh, Dean Olden's season when we were doing really well. He did something similar at Fulham. He'd just get anywhere near the penalty area. You knew he was going to concede. I mean, listen, on FBC podcast, you won't get any bad comments from me when you say what you've just said about Callum O'Dowd. Because I mean, all what I'm saying is he personal. Was but, he was But we had that side, didn't we, Dave, where it was just, there was no big men in it. There was no elbows in contact. There was... It was just a lovely, fuffy ground. <laughs> you know, you get lovely pasty and you get a lovely cup of tea and a lovely burger and stuff. And you go and watch in a lovely seat or stand in and the side would come out and lovely kit on a lovely pitch, play lovely football if they're allowed to. Uh-oh, the side ain't going to allow them to play lovely football. Yeah. Oh, let's all, let's all switch off and just go. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you know. No, you're and, right. And, and, Absolutely. You know, too many seasons in recent years that has happened. Yeah, and that's one of the other things I quite like uh, about Nigel Pierce. And and don't get me wrong, the draw is still out a bit, you know. Of, yeah, of oh God, no, in many, in <coughs> but many Chris Martin has got yeah, a bit. Right. I mean, we talked about Chris Martin, but Chris Martin's got a bit old and grumpy, which is nice. You know, he leaves an elbow when he's going up. He's quite happy to pucker his chest up against somebody. Yeah, you know, you've got Alex Scott quite happy to. To play the referee well, for an eighteen-year-old kid, he puts very a foot, doesn't he? And he puts his foot in, and you know you've got Williams there who's going to say, "Well, actually," and everybody thinks, "Oh, well, if he can do it, I'm going to do it." You know, um, so I'm hoping it will. We'll have a few more hard edges with Nell Smith as well, who's another player that you know. Yeah. You don't close, you, although he pick. looks elegant. Close, oh. although he looks elegant. He knows how to do it on the sly as well. And what he? he does, and I hope he does get back to form because he plays the angle as well. He gets his elbow in front of somebody. Yeah. He gets his, his body in front of somebody. He's an intelligent, experienced uh, central defender and we'll need him to do well next year. Yeah. Okay, before we uh, wrap up the, with your uh, prediction for the the, the, the month of uh, July... Oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're, trying to think, you're thinking... You're trying to picture the fixtures. I'll shout Yeah, you, you tell me the fixtures. And I'll Hull away, Sunderland at home, Wigan away... Luton home, Cardiff home, Blackburn away, Huddersfield at home, I think. So think about that. But I, I meant to say this to the guys yesterday. Sadly, at the weekend, uh, the passing was announced of uh, Stoney Garnet. Oh, I've worked with Stoney a lot. We're, yeah. we're all of an age that Stoney, with his red fedora, yeah, yeah. has been a fixture at Ashton Gate in his own right. I'm sure you've met him numerous occasions. Well, I've got Stoney I, memory. I was with his well. I was with his brother actually a few weeks ago at Bishopston Rugby Club annual dinner because he plays. He used to play rugby at Bishopston, but Stony I've known um, for years and years and years. We've even worked together. You know, I've gone down to do a rugby dinner. I always remember it, uh, Penzance, and I was doing a rugby dinner, and I get there, and they said, "Oh, the comedian's a bit late. Have you ever heard of him? He's from your part of town, uh, your part of the, the world." And it was Stony, you know, and so. 
you know, and I said, Stoney, how do you get a gig down in Penzance? Oh, I met him at Temple Beach Station and, you know, we had a drink together and then he offered me down to do his, his dinner, you know. And, uh, but yeah, he, he was, he was uh, larger than life. You know, he loved his drink. I think there's not a bar in Bristol, well, this side of Bristol that he hadn't been in. Uh, I mean, even to the point of sometimes if I'm going down to a meeting in Bristol, you know, you go past the old market, past the old long bar, which used to be the cider house, and a, a flash of red would catch your eye at nine o'clock in the morning and you look in and there he is with a point, you know, looking out the window waving, you know. So um, the fact that, he, you know, I don't I don't actually know what he died of, Dave, do you? No, I, don't, I was going to, you know, I, I, I don't. It seemed very relatively sudden. You know, I mean, anybody who's seen how much he drinks and where he was could sort of, guess it why he went but one thing's for certain Stoney lived life to the full he did and there'll be uh it'll be sorely uh it'll be sorely missed okay um right first seven games then i'm gonna say first seven games what's your out of 21 points what what are we gonna get so remind me again we got we got we got holloway holloway that's a draw that's a draw uh send the win Come on, let's, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, and then uh, Wigan away. That'd be difficult. Yeah, That'd be difficult. Luton at home. Um, Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, keep telling me I'm counting on my fingers and my toes. Let's yeah, hope I, I get got it. One, we got we got one win so far, right? So that was I think you said Sunderland was a win. What did you say yeah. for? Oh, what did you say for Holloway? Draw. Draw, that's four points. Four points. I got the four. I'm showing you the four, David. That's four. That's four so far. So Wigan away. You say no. nothing there. Luton I'll at home. I'd be happy if we do. Sorry. Luton at home next. Uh, I couldn't see that being a draw. Five. Cardiff at home. Oh, three. Three. Eight. Yes. Uh, I think I'm right saying Blackburn away. That's a naught, isn't it? Yeah, that's a naught. And then Huddersfield yeah. at home. If you get a draw out of that, I'll be happy. Well, if they hang on to Toffolo and O'Brien, who I think yeah. we're going to go, and then haven't, but they might get a draw. So you're, you're about, I think, I think I'm on about nine. 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 I, you, yeah. You're close. You're close to me between nine. I think about nine. nine. And on, and, and I did a, I, I did a uh, full season prediction. In fact, I'll send you a league t- a, a entry for you, like like the join because we've been doing it. For yeah, 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 yeah. Years now, right? I sit down and I say, right. How many points are we going to get? And then work it out from there. But this year, I sat down and I thought, I'll do it off the cuff. And I ended up with 67 points, which is 12 more than last year. And it would guarantee you a position between 10th and 12th. Yeah. So 12, without, yeah, being, right without giving me a number of points, but what is a good season for City to finish on, in your eyes? Season. We relegation. Position, so, position I, I, I think um, around midway, yeah. just above midway, I think would be um, would be positive for us. Um, and then looking to rebuild again for next season. But again, that will rely on keeping some of the younger players who are now a year younger and bringing more in. I know. You know, and that's the problem because how many times have we had sides that have looked like they can actually, you know. Uh, jump the void, and then all of a sudden, through lack of not passion or ambition to buy the right player at the right time, that little 
calculated risk gamble uh, have left us going off a cliff. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see us. If I think if we were just mid-table, just above, I think yeah. uh, 12, Pearson, 12 would be reasonably happy. Yeah, twelve up to ten. That's about yeah. Uh, yeah. That's about the same as uh, that's about the same as me. Well, Gareth, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you.